Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Hi guys, uh, welcome back. It's Wednesday. It's your favorite day. It's your favorite podcast, Awkward Sex in the City, with me, Natalie Wall. And what's crazy about this one is um, I finally have a guest. It's not solo. Thank you guys for being so patient. There's been a couple solo episodes because um, technical difficulties on my end that we've had to like kind of scrap the episodes, but it is what it is. We I talked about that before. Um, this episode is with Khalid Rockman. Someone that I've known in the comedy community for a long time and kind of just like watched from afar and vice versa. And just very interesting, funny person to talk to. And we talk about, uh, he calls it his fuckboy rehab. Um, we talk about politics, obviously. We talk about, we don't really talk about COVID too much in this. So that's refreshing, right? Uh, guys were sick of me talking about COVID 24-7. That being said, please wear your fucking masks and wash your fucking hands. Also... If you listen to the last episode and when I talked about, like, to all the boys that I didn't fuck, know the guys I specifically were talking about have not um, texted or responded yet uh, because I do I do know that they are behind on the podcast. But the one guy that I talked about that, like, tweets, um, like, likes all my tweets and, like, we had, like, a thing, um, uh, literally DM'd me, like, the next day after I recorded and we haven't like we haven't like talked talked. We've only like communicated via likes. Uh to like talk, but not in a weird way. They they also are in a relationship. And at the end of the convo was like, I really need to listen to your podcast. And I was like, sure. But in my mind I was like, please don't. Anywho, I thought that was hilarious. I thought the timing was very eerie, and I truly expect to get a text uh from a couple of dudes being like, Wait, was I one of them? Uh, that you're talking about. Yay. Anywho, I think you'll like this episode. I think it's fun. I think it's interesting. And I'm just going to stop talking uh, and let you listen, you know? Um, I'm trying to think where to start because uh, obviously we recorded before. Uh, and Oh, yeah. Don't worry. Recording number two, <laughs> The Lost Recording. Such a good podcast, too. Uh. I know. It was good. But we now we kind of have like an outline. Now we know what we're going to talk about. <laughs> I'm glad. I actually was going to pull up your DMs from the first recording because um, you had said something really funny uh, right before we did the first round. Um, oh, okay. Uh, my fuckboy rehab journal- journey. And where oh, yeah. you are now, which we talked about before, but if you didn't mind talking about it again. Oh, yeah. There's been developments since then, even. Oh, my goodness. Oh, shit. So many developments. Okay. Uh, so I've been really, I have really been on the fuckboy rehab journey uh, for these last, like, four years. I've been mostly single uh, the last four years, just running around on these streets, you know, like a real alley cat, just <laughs> <laughs> any port that would have me. I mean, just really not great behavior. Um, so... 
I kind of like been taking this time of mostly being single these last four years to focus on my career, but also, and that's been going great, but also to focus on like, what do I want out of real romantic relationships? Like, what do I want to be? Who do who would I want to be in these situations? And um, I've been trying to like rehab and like, like change my ways basically of just not running around all the time with different ladies. And but at the same time, trying to be honest about like what I want out of uh, relationships when it comes to monogamy and when it comes to like love. And I don't know, I'm still trying to figure that out in terms of like, I don't know if monogamy is going to work for me because it's just never has in the past. I've been like a, a lifelong cheater. Uh, a lot of cheating has gone on. But these last like couple of years, I've become kind of obsessed with um, fairness and ethics. And that has led me to like promise myself, like, I'm not going to cheat anymore. Uh, if I'm dating someone and I don't want to see them, they want to be monogamous, I'll just break up with them. I'm not going to do dirt because you can't tell yourself you're a good guy, but also be doing dirt and doing bad things to women. Uh, so that's where I'm at. Uh, since we last recorded, I've like officially uh, have a girlfriend. All right. Um, yeah, it's been pretty great. Uh, she's awesome. She's around my age. She uh, is really cool. Um, we've continued to talk about like what's going to be our situation with monogamy versus maybe having something more open. Um, and what we decided at the up top was that we would have a, a period of monogamy at the beginning for sure to build up trust and to build up respect and stuff, and then re re um, reevaluate and discuss after that. I'm feeling like more and more, and from what she said recently, she's more like pretty monogamous and I'm probably going to have to end up making a decision to just like be okay with that. And, um, that because she's so great, uh, she's such, she's like everything I've been looking for. I really was looking for someone who would just like be willing to play and be willing to just be goofy and have fun with me. And she's so fun. She has life bits. She does. We both had one of the same life bits, which was hilarious to discover. What was the bit? So you know the word? The word Latinx. Yes. So that's like a relatively new um, term that's been kind of used more regularly the last couple of years. And the first time I heard it, I thought it was Latinx. <laughs> and so in my mind, I would, I would always go Latinx. And apparently she does the same thing, which cracks me up <laughs> because it's just a funny word to say is Latinx. So we have the Latinx bit we do. Um, I have all these characters that I do when we're like, fooling around just like funny characters she always cracks her up and it's just fun to be with someone who's silly she makes like random jokes and i i they're always like just very cheesy and kind of like off, off the wall and i love them so it's really fun to just be with someone who uh, i really want to talk to also we have these long like four-hour talks we'll be on facetime just chatting away and i've never had that before so um it's been kind of a long journey to get to this point but i'm still kind of like trying to figure out like what is this point? Like, what am I, what am I going to ultimately um, decide within myself about like, Hey, I'm going to be like a monogamous straight normal relationship or I, do I need something different? And I, I don't know yet. Uh, but I do know I really enjoy being with the person I'm with now. I'm going to try to make that work. That's amazing. I mean, that is a yeah. big, that's a really big deal. The fact that uh, you now feel as if you'd be okay with monogamy. Because it's not, it's so. not for everyone. It really isn't. And people get misunderstood. 
misunderstand it or misconstrue it with cheating. And there is a difference. And it goes back to what you were saying with yeah. like fair fairness and like ethics of it all. Yeah, totally. No, absolutely. That's a really big thing. Um, I don't know. I just want to be able to like look myself in the mirror without being like, you dirty dog. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to do that anymore. So I think that's going to have to be like, I just, you know, whatever we agree to is what we agree to. And I just keep up with that. It also sounds like you have a very open communication with this person, which is, I think, makes things like monogamy and non-monogamy much easier just to be able to even talk about it. Was it possible to talk about? Well, well let me backtrack. Was um, an open relationship something you would have even fathomed with people in your past that you cheated on? No, um, I didn't have the same kind of communication that I've had. Or I mean, I didn't feel comfortable communicating as much as I do now. Mm-hmm. That's probably more accurate. I was way more, I'm way more comfortable just like openly communicating things with a partner now than I was then. And, um, you know, it's funny, maybe if I had been more comfortable, I wouldn't have cheated. Maybe it would have been okay. I don't know. Uh, it's hard to say, but, you know, I think it's pretty fair to say that for the most part, women tend to be more like just monogamous, straight up, me and you, whereas men tend to more be open to like, oh, maybe I could be with other women because it's just kind of within our nature. It's one of those weird things that people don't you don't want to admit that like there's fundamental differences between men and women, and it's that way for a reason because of evolution and because of like child rearing, especially that it's just it just is to a woman's advantage to have one partner and know that the one partner is going to take care of those kids. And with men, it's more like you know we're kind of built to want to like spread our seed and like that, which is crazy. I don't even want to have kids, but that's just in us and. Not to say that people, men can't be monogamous because there are plenty who are, but also like tons of people cheat. There's like there's like some insane stats about how many people cheat, and it's like truly like shocking when you look at it. So I don't know. It's just a hard thing to. Um, it's just never. I'm just never been able to accomplish it. So I'm trying to like change my ways and figure it out if it's something I can do. Because uh, again, I don't want to miss. I don't want to lose out on someone who could be like the right one for me in the long long term because of something that probably doesn't matter i was also talking to my buddy sean who's like um he's polyamorous and i don't understand how his schedule even works like how do you have time to like actually date more than one person yeah and have a life and have a job and be like you know going to protest and like all these other things that we're doing right now and cook like i don't know i don't even i mean it might be a fantasy in my mind but like i wouldn't want to just like hook up with other people i want to like you know have a real thing and like care for someone and date them a little bit so I don't know how that would be even possible. So it might be just a moot point on my on my on my end anyway. Yeah, because I think that's another thing is people tend to um, smush open relationships and polyamory together, and like a poly relationship, just there's no hierarchy within the relationships. Everyone's yeah. considered equal um, and yeah. open. It's like you said, like there could be dating. It could be more just like I just want to hook up, things like that. Maybe there's like multiple people that you hook up with on a regular basis, things like that. But um, I wanted to go back to uh, the the men and women situation. I have, will admit on this podcast, it's been more women on open relationships than in mo- than, than men, and a lot of them were married too, like are are married and in open relationships. So I don't know if that's like New York specific or. Uh, 
I would suspect that it is. I think so, <laughs> too. We have a very wild and woolly, loosey-goosey lifestyle here in New York City. <laughs> when times I've had the chance to leave, people are like, you people are heathens and aliens. <laughs> we, I, I do. I think I agree with you. I think it is New York. I think it's very, um, yeah. very liberal. I could see something like that. Yes. This, like, happening in yes. L.A. as well or, like, other uh, pretty liberal hubs. Um, but I wanted to ask at the beginning, did you have like, did you have like a rock bottom? Cause usually for rehab, there's like a rock bottom. Yeah. Um, so it's been like a series of them, I guess, <laughs> you know, like the last one was actually, I was uh, talking to uh, a comedian about possibly us dating and she was like very suspicious very suspicious <laughs> and i understood why when she told me she goes eventually feels you know you kind of have a reputation for the dms Ooh, uh, actually amongst like i looked back at our dms and you kind of did the thing the same thing to me and i was like <laughs> <laughs> i didn't even notice it because you were talking about crown heights and i was like oh no this is like this is like a dm dm this is flirtatious see yeah yeah flirtation like too you can't be flirting with all these people and that's and especially you shouldn't be flirting with all your coworkers. what are you doing and that's what I kind of kind of had a, a come to Jesus with myself, like, hey, you got to change your ways. You can't be like flirting with every girl you think is cute, especially if you freaking work with them. Like people in comedy, it's always kind of like, um, you know, it's like work, but it's also like it's at night and there's alcohol and everyone is partying and like it's all for fun. But it's like, no, these are coworkers. These are people you'll see for like, you know, for a while if you stay in the same business. So I kind of just told, talked to myself. I was like, you got to change your ways. You can't just be flirting with all these people, especially like women talk to each other, their friends, these are people in the same business. So it was just dumb. So I was like, yeah, you know what? You got me there. And uh, it sounds like I need to really change my ways. <laughs> yeah, we. And that, that really helped. That's good. Yeah, sometimes like being, yeah. being uh, I, want, I don't want to say call out because I don't want to be like call out culture, but it's, it's good to have people that like check one another to be like, mm, are you sure you should be doing this? Do you see what you're doing? Because a lot of times we don't realize like what we're doing. Like we're so the habits are so like ingrained within us. Um, yeah. Yeah. Like I had same, like similar situations. Like because it's hard, right? They are your coworkers, but there mm -hmm. is alcohol and there is drinking, and you're probably just off of an adrenaline rush of like doing great on stage, or you just did really bad on stage. And a lot of people meet who they're going to end up marrying or dating at work too. So it gets yes. really murky of like, this is my job, but the stakes are higher and the pool is much smaller too. I feel like, like it just, it's a recipe totally. for disaster. And then also like, um, it can, it can be a lot easier to date someone in the same line of work because they understand your struggles. They understand your ups and downs, your challenges with the job. And also, when you're telling stories, they know what you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> so that's, like, very helpful to not have to explain, okay, so this person is this person, and they have a history of doing this, and um, I'm upset because this is a thing. And, like, Boris was a comedian, you'd be like, oh, you, you get it. You know who I'm talking about. You know what the struggles are. So that's another, like, thing that's very tempting about it. But what's bad is that, again, like, you can't just be flirting with all these different people because it's just, you know, it's not good for your, your reputation. Um, we're in a very sensitive time when it comes to work um romantic relationships uh because everything's happened with the me too movement which is of course very like needed mm -hmm. so you know it's just a very tricky time to be do to be messing around with people at work yeah yeah because like what what the me too movement too has really done i 
has pointed a spotlight on and we're I think we're getting to a better place with it, but there still needs to be a lot of talk and conversation. But it's that how gray the area is. Like when people talk about rape or harassment or sexual assault, people think it's very black or white. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's not, it's so gray uh, with like Aziz in that situation. Like there was a reason why so many people were confused. There were so many reasons why like maybe men got very defensive because they probably had something very similar in their past, but when you every single guy I know was very defensive about it for the most almost every almost every single guy I know was defensive about it because most men have had something in their past that was very great that they feel guilty about, um, or even that they've had to confront. And it was it's it's very um it's actually very similar. I think we got to this last time, it's very similar to what's happening with the racial dynamic in our country. Oh yeah. What happened with men and women with Me Too is very similar to this this uprising, this uh awakening of racial stuff, where, you know, a lot of white people are defensive about what's happening because they feel guilty about something that happened with them with race and how they didn't handle something well. And also people just generally do not be do not like to be told that their behavior has been or is problematic in any way. Oh, yeah. So, you know, like men did not like being told, hey, that stuff that you were doing with how you were handling things with women for all that time was bad. And you need to change that shit now because we don't like it. And white people, the grand white people, do not like being told, hey, you know how you've dealt with uh, minorities for all this time? It sucks. <laughs> like, a lot of the things you do are microaggressions, and some of them are macroaggressions, and we would need that shit to change. And also, it's not cool that you have your all-white circles and secret white meetings at work that we're supposed to be in, but we mysteriously were not told about, and a bunch of other shit that goes on. So I totally understand when women are furious about how they've been treated at work, and especially within interpersonal relationships. And how they've been kind of like shushed and silenced and told to always go along so men don't get upset because it's been going on forever. And they're like, we're tired of this shit. And so men need to be like, okay, let me step back and listen. Let me listen to what these women are saying instead of just dismissing it right away. Because that's the most frustrating thing that we deal with as black people is that when we bring up concerns about racism, white people always want to shush it and be like, no, it's not that bad. It's like uh, my friend has this joke called a uh, white noise he says that um for him white noise is what happens when black people bring up racism issues and white people are like Shh. <laughs> oh my god that's <laughs> perfect a lingon mitra that's his joke uh he's so freaking funny and you gotta look it up he's just hilarious and it's so true and that's kind of like very similar to what men do when women bring up sexism stuff it's like Shh. Let's not talk about that right now. It makes us uncomfortable. It's very, it's very true. It's so true. It is. And like, even just, I, it makes me think of like the 12 steps for like um, addiction. Like, I almost feel like sexism and racism are an addiction. And so a lot of people are yes. like in denial right now. They're like, it's not a problem with me. It's not a problem with my family. Um, and it's like, no, no, it is. And it's, but the yes. problem is it's so crucial that people hit their rock bottom because, like, people are literally dying or being, like, literally murdered. Um, but, yeah, I'm trying to think because, like, obviously, I'm a white woman. 
um, the second worst in the in the tier right now is white men and then white women. <laughs> and at first I was very defensive. I remember being defensive back in like college and being like, no, like I'm a liberal, guys. Like I get it. And I had mm. no fucking clue. Um, yeah. I don't even remember when I really start. Oh, no, not until I moved to New York because uh, like my college was super white. My suburbs were white when I grew up. Um, after my dad retired because he was in the army. So when we moved around the army, it was much more diverse. But once he retired, we were it was like a basically white community. And you're you're hit with it immediately when you hit when you move to New York, um, which is great. But it's you all of a sudden you're like, oh no, I know nothing. And you're like almost overwhelmed, but you get there. So anyone's listening, like you get there. And also, it's never ending. Like I think now white people are very obsessed with the idea of like a um a perfect being a perfect ally and it's like this doesn't exist mm. and like it really doesn't it, yeah go on yeah it's an everyday thing it's an everyday process and i mean the, the main thing though i think we need to do to fix a lot of these problems is just for people to intentionally make themselves uncomfortable mm-hmm. and that means like hey go and hang out at a place where you're not the majority race Go and like meet some people who look different than you. And there's different ways to do it. You can join clubs. I mean, now it's more hard than social distancing. But like, you know, we need to like be trying to make friends that don't look like us, that don't have the same backgrounds, because that's how we fix these like these gaps between races, between genders. I mean, gender too. I think a lot of men I know have shockingly few female friends. And that's a real big problem because like you don't get that perspective when you're dealing with uh women you just like have your bros and how they look at things and then when a woman who you know from work or you know from like a social situation approaches you with a different point of view you're like what what are you talking about but maybe if you had some female friends you would have already heard that point of view and explored it and kind of like taken it in instead of just dismissing it and that's a big that's what happens with race too like i live in brooklyn and like you know it's all everyone's like we're happy hipster happy dreamland here but we have a very segregated borough now yeah. because of gentrification, because of like economics. You know, there's places where you can go in Brooklyn and just be around white people and live your lily white life and go to hipster bars and go to like, you know, locally sourced this and that and never even interact with a person from a different background. Like, you know, this place like in Greenpoint and Williamsburg, where, you know, the, the finances of it make it so that only white people pretty much live there, even though black people used to live there. And it's one of those things that just sucks because it makes people think that they're like this perfect ally, even though they don't have anyone of color in their life. Yeah. And it's like, how are you going to call yourself an ally when you don't even talk to black people unless it's like, you know, a, a transactional situation because you're at a store or because you work together or something. And that's what it is. We need to socially integrate. And we also need to like, you know, socially in- integrate uh, from a gender perspective, but also from a race perspective. Absolutely. I a thousand percent agree. And it's shocking. Um, it's been shocking to for me to realize how much of systemic racism I didn't understand, and now to see how much denial is also uh, within white people about systemic racism. Because that made me th- uh, talking about like gentrifying Brooklyn made me think of that of just like yeah, all these things add up to then pushing people out because they can't afford it because they're not getting the job promotions or they're not even getting a job because. Uh, they uh, the employer doesn't like her hair braided that way or the way their name sounds or something like that. Like these little small 
I don't even know why I call that a microaggression. I feel like that now that's a macroaggression because it's like getting sure. completely in the way of people's like money and shit like that. But obviously this is a very um, broad explanation of it. But just Sharon Paul posted on Facebook like a week ago and was like, white people, what did you learn about slavery and for how long did you learn it? And I don't remember how long slavery was. I think it really was like a paragraph in her history books. And it made me, it was really bad. And then high school was just like civil rights happened. Martin Luther King was good because he was peaceful. Malcolm X was bad because he was violent and Muslim. Voting right act happened. Everything's good. Like that was it. And maybe like, I think there was like a picture of Emmett Till and that was it. And they were like, we learned our ways. But I was thinking about like how different would it be if like everyone in high school had to take a course specifically on like systemic racism in America? Like how? That would be amazing. I mean, I would love to see that happen. I just don't know what the the realities of that are because unfortunately anything tied to race is made into a political issue. And, you know, as you know, our country is, uh, it is divided. (laughs) We are a divided nation, uh, red and blue. And the red, the red side of the country just seems to, you know, want to deny that any of these things are even a problem. And it's really upsetting. I mean, again, we've been in this like deep, deep, um, denial about racism and the fact that this country is built on white supremacy. And as long as we have that as the case, it's going to be difficult to educate people. People, unfortunately, will have to like really seek out this education and like want to learn. But it's hard for white people to want to learn about how they've benefited from this fucked up system. And that's one of the main things holding us back from like getting past these things. Absolutely. I mean, I didn't even know about the Tulsa massacre until Watchmen came out. I had yeah. no clue. Yeah. Um, I didn't know about Central Park until June. Uh, and mm-hmm. then uh, I just, I think today I learned that Brooklyn is, was taken from the Canarsie Native Americans. Yeah. I literally just learned that today. And you. I mean, literally there is every day there is something to learn about the history of white supremacy and how completely fucked up it has been for black people since day one in this country. And it's, um, we need like a truth and reconciliation program like they had in South Africa when things have definitely not been perfect there but at least like there was a period where, where white people were able to kind of like come together with black people and were like hey we did you wrong we officially apologize the US government's never apologized for slavery or Jim Crow or segregation or, or redlining or any of the other fucked up things that were done intentionally to keep black people from having shit in this country and that is the biggest problem like I don't understand I don't think that most white people understand the level of anger that just sits on like a resting level with black folk about how we've been done to the point where I know black people who just like seeing white people triggers them. And, and it's like, I get it. It's a, it's a, it's a tough way to be, but I get it. There's there during this time, this last few months, I have had days where I've been like, and I have friends who do this also where I'm just like taking a break from white people today because I can't deal with any white folks because I'm just so upset about how white people are handling this uprising, how the government is handling things. And like, just like white folks stuff is gonna trigger me today. So I'm gonna be with all black people. I'm listening to all black music. I'm gonna watch all black shows and just and just commune with my black folks to like get through this. 
And it's sad that that's something that has to happen because of how systemic this shit has been. I never realized that there's never been an apology. I mean, it's all got to it's all got to burn down. I don't think there could be a true reconciliation if we continue within the system that was created. Cuz that's the problem. No. Like I I was for years I was like the system's broken and then I finally realized no the system was created and is doing exactly what they wanted it to do. Yes. And so that's the huge like it really yeah. Is. We it's like, I love the idea of getting, like, socialists, you know, in office and seeing if that helps level level uh, everything out. But I just don't think it will. I think at the end of the day, within all the bureaucracy, it's got to gotta light a match. Well, I mean, the real, the, I mean, one of the real problems is, like, I don't know how we get the government to admit that Black folk are in a special, separate category in need of triage. Mm-hmm. When it comes to like catching up on getting ahead in this country because of so many years of intentionally being put back with all these races as laws and programs mm. and banking policies and housing policies. So like it's, you know, people, people say, uh, you know, by POC, black and indig- indigenous people of color. And I didn't really understand why that was a thing until like I was, oh, yeah, let me just connect these two things. Obviously, this is a special category of oppression because of how the country is built. So we should have a separate term because the struggle of different people of color is not the same. You know, the struggle of Asian folks who come over is very different than the struggles of black folks who came over and their ancestors were in chains. It's a different thing. Um, and especially because, you know, you, you see that used against black folk. Well, Indians get here and they start killing it. How come y'all can't? Well, they're, they, they didn't have decades and decades and decades and decades of intentional, intentional subjugation in this country. You know, they weren't denied the GI Bill so they couldn't get houses and build wealth. They weren't they weren't redlined out of the good good neighborhoods. You know, there's all these different things. So um I don't know. I don't know how it changes. Uh I do think that the, the protests that have been going on for like these last few months are very important and should continue. Uh but you know, that's remains to be seen how that's gonna be handled because now, you know, what's going on in Portland and people being snatched off the streets, it's very concerning. Yeah, it's all very concerning and it's also um, I'm so glad the protests are still happening because they are very important, but it's, it's so, and I'm saying this, I'm saying it's frustrating just from my perspective and I, seeing all the, learning all this stuff and getting so angry about it has been like, oh shit, like, just like, oh shit, like, of course, when you're like, you're like, I, I'm just having like a, a black people day, like, of course, like I'm in, I'm exhausted by me too you know <laughs> oh so we so we have like we're this uh podcast has gotten very serious very quickly so i just want to tell people in case they're wondering women be shopping <laughs> <laughs> you can't stop a woman from shopping we're gonna inject some hacky comedy into the mix to get a little humor into the podcast i also want to talk about um you know it's a dating and sex podcast so i want to talk about like interracial dating i think that's something that people might be interested to hear about because my girlfriend now is white I have dated a lot of white women. Um, I've been interrogating that as well within myself. Um, and it's been very interesting during this time. I had, I'm friends with several interracial couples, like a lot from comedy and from outside. And I feel like this is the time when it's very difficult to be in an interracial relationship because of all that's happening. But also, like, it must be hard to be the white person in an interracial relationship because it involves a lot of listening. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a lot of like more than usual. It's like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, tell me more about that. That sucks. And there's a lot of like 
downloading from your partner of stuff that they're 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 uh they're frustrated about. I mean, this happened recently with my girlfriend where I've been like ranting about something in society with race, and she's like, mm-hmm, I hear you. I know it sucks. I'm like, wow, she must be it must be kind of tiring listening to a lot of like stuff that's not so great. Do you think it's possible for a white person in a relationship? An inner inner um I almost said international, inner interracial <laughs> relationship. <laughs> yeah. Do you think they ever can fully understand it? Yeah. I mean, I I know some um my friend Kenny is uh dating uh Sashir Zameda, and uh they're two comedians who've been together for a while. And Kenny's one of these people, he's one of these white dudes who's made it a point to really learn about the history of this country from a black perspective. Like bought the books, read the stuff, listened to the podcast, like really has gotten like a load of information about what has gone on racially. And so I feel like he gets it. And I'm actually surprised, not surprisingly, I found that to be the case with a lot of white dudes who date black women. They've made it a point to like really learn about black people and the history of black people in this country. And it's, it's helpful because these dudes tend to be the kind of people who are like good allies and who do like kind of get it. And you can talk like frankly and, and who are comfortable talking about race. A lot of white people are not comfortable talking about race because like they just haven't been educated about it and because they feel a lot of guilt and they just like want to avoid it so they don't say the wrong thing. Whereas people who've like really done the work and who really like, you know, make a point of going out of their way to learn and, and also to have friends of different races, they really can mix it up. Yeah. Which I really like to see. Yeah, I'm definitely in that category, not not the Kenny category. I'm definitely in the category now where it's like, I don't want to say the wrong thing. Like, I want to listen and I want to be someone that people can vent to and I can actively listen. But I had a a friend that um, we were like driving back from somewhere this week and he was venting about something specifically within... um, specifically racism in comedy um i you yeah. i'm pretty sure you know him but i'm not gonna say his name because i don't think he wants us like out there but um and i was listening and i was just like in my mind i was like i don't know what the right thing to say is while i agree with everything that he says like i don't know i didn't know how to be like um supportive in the right way does that make sense because sure. the whole time i was like yeah, yeah i completely agree but i had no like solution to it, I guess, if that mm. makes sense. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's also tough because, like, there are there are no easy solutions for a lot of these things. A lot of these things, when it comes to like racism and like sexism and all these like different prejudices, it's hard to figure out how to solve a lot of these problems without like, you know, inconveniencing someone else. Or like, it's it's easy to like to say theoretically things should be this way, but it's like, well, how does that look practically? It's like with reparations, right? Like I have a lot of friends who are like, we got to have reparations. And I do agree that like something should be done to redress a lot of the evils in the past that were done financially to black people, um, specifically because so many of us are struggling because of those systems that were put in place. But what does that look like? Like who's the people who are going to pay that? Like are poor white people going to pay that? Because like I can see a lot of them being like, fuck this. I'm getting screwed also. I don't have a pot to piss and I'm supposed to pay for a black person. I don't even know to have more because my ancestors might have done some shit I had nothing to do with. But again, it's like, I don't know. Like Everyone kind of has something to do with the past because we have like connections to the past. Uh, then it's like also like, I don't know, does that come out of taxes? Like what, is the, what do these things look like? So it's very difficult. I know what you mean to like hear a problem and think like, oh, I wish I could offer a solution, but it's no easy one. Yeah. Yeah. I even, I, 
And so I was going to bring up reparations too, because I, I like, what does that look like? Because I do think it's very necessary and could truly change shit, right? Money changes shit in America. And when that's been opportunity, mm-hmm. yeah, money and opportunity. I mean, I mean, I, I've seen it this last few years in comedy that like some of these companies have been trying to kind of do their version of reparations. You oh, know, I have like friends. Yeah, I mean, we look at with, with booking stuff. You know, like on these like a very small small thing like these late night spots, right? So I have friends who were in line to do Colbert, uh, white male friends who like had their tapes in the right hands the last few years. And for whatever reason, it ended up happening that they didn't get to do it. And then I looked at who Colbert booked for the last couple of years. And I'm like seeing a pattern of, well, they're pretty much getting on mostly women and minorities. Um, and I think that's an attempt to redress some of the booking policies of the past that have been very unfair. And you see this with um, some of the writing job hirings also, which is great. Again, like we need diversity in these writers' rooms because it's very difficult to be the only person of any kind of like persuasion in a, a mostly white male space or mostly white space in general, because you find yourself being the one who has to be the conscience and the voice of your whole people. And that sucks. Mamadou Njai uh, actually wrote a very good article about this, um, uh, being a black person in white spaces and vulture recently, I definitely recommend it. Uh, so I definitely think that like, you know, you, you'll hear, I, I hear people say, you know, they'll be straight up told, we're not looking for white guys right now. And that's a really hard thing to hear for a, a starving artist who's like, well, I don't, I'm not in a position of power. Why am I being discriminated against? Because I'm a white guy. But it's like, well, for decades and decades and decades and decades, y'all have just been getting all the breaks, all the spots, all the late night writing jobs, all the late night writing or hosting jobs, like all these things. And like, we're trying to balance this shit out. So some of y'all are going to take it on the chin right now. And also, Luckily, we're in a time when you can call your own shot. You can be any kind of person and get on the internet and build a fan base. So you shouldn't let the gatekeepers hold you back from what you want to do. Uh, and I've seen that with my friend Jared. My friend Jared Freed is like, you know, straight white guy who's in a frat. And he is killing it. He's not hearing any of this, like, Comedy Central won't have me. The late shows won't have me. So I'm going to just, like, cry about it. He's like, no. He's like, I'm going to make a ton of money building my own fan base and my own podcast. So I think that, like, you know, we're trying to redress these things and it's going to be like, you know, very difficult for, for folks to kind of live with how things are if they're not in the group that's being like addressed right now. Or being yeah, well, because equality feels like. Um... Well, equality feels like oppression if you're not used to. Equality. Yeah, I literally couldn't think of oppression. <laughs> you know I mean? like, yeah. But yeah, no, exactly. You're a thousand percent right. Like if when you're not given every fucking opportunity handed to you on this like silver platter, it's going to feel fucking different. Which is probably part of the reason yeah. why, like, uh, the American government and uh, the, like, 49% of white men and women that want to vote for Trump want to vote for Trump because they they know. They know that the other side isn't being treated as well, and they don't want to be the mm-hmm. other side. Yeah. I mean, I wonder about getting back to, like, dating and stuff and relationships. I wonder about what goes on in these relationships where there's two white folks and the man's like, we're voting for Trump. <laughs> and the woman's like, okay. Like, I think that's what happened, to be honest. Like, a lot of the, the polls were all wrong last time because I think a lot of the time it was just the dude just, like, dictating what was going to go down. 
because I know I think we know like to be like 70 percent or 80 percent of white dudes voted for Trump or something some crazy high number. But like 56 percent of like white women voted for him. So I don't know. Um, Mary, who was on the podcast a few weeks ago, talked about that. Um, it goes back to because I kind of want I kind of wish it was that like white men are like, mm, do it. It's not. I don't think so. It goes back to um, mm. suffragettes when white men gave white women the ability to vote to dilute uh, a black man's uh, vote. And I've, ever since then, I think it's in the book Hood Feminism by um, Mickey Kendall. Ever since then, uh, white women have almost always aligned politically with white men. And then and then wow. black women um, wouldn't get the right to vote a few years down the line after that. Um, but I will, uh, there was a family I nannied for. Um, I fucking hated the dad so much. And the mom was okay, but I always wanted to be like, like, why are you in this relationship? Like, you guys need to get divorced. Um, she broke down in tears to me the day after the election because he voted for Trump. And she was like, and she has a daughter. And she was like, who am I raising my daughter with? And I was like, I don't know. And I don't think you know either. Um, there's some um, there's some radio show. I think it's, uh, I heard about this on Dan Savage, I believe. There's a radio show that's like a, a, a local Seattle radio show that somehow become like this, this home for like white women who all of a sudden feel like they don't know their husbands because of the election. And they call in and they support each other. And this, this whole thing it was an article about it, uh, either on Medium or New York Times that I read recently. And it's this whole phenomenon. Like, it's just this radio show has become like a place for women to call in. Like, oh, my husband voted for Trump and around the election, he started to change. And I don't think I was, I was married to a racist. And they're just like unloading their stories and sharing their stories. It's really, there's been a lot of divorces because of the election and the politics this last Damn. few years. Damn. Damn. Yeah. yeah. It's. It's crazy. And it makes sense yeah. because, like, because I mean, Trump spoke to something very specific and like this very specific um, grievances that a lot of these white men in places that are not doing well economically had, and he was he and they, and like and and did not connect to a lot of the women in the same way. But I mean, the, the, this this article, I I, I want to send it to you and we'll link to it or something yeah. because it was really interesting just to hear their stories of like marriages basically that have been torn apart by. By Trump support. Because uh, what's really been interesting, and I have Trump supporters in my family, specifically my fucking parents, which uh, truly astonishes me to this day. Because um, they they Oof, were very, that is yeah, they one. were liberal for a long time. And we have a lot of conversations. Um, they're not good ones. But trying to explain to them that like a vote for Trump is racism or is racist, like they're like, no. They're like, no, I, I think equality exists. Um, I don't. I don't use the N word. And it's like, that's not what racism is. Like, it's like, mm -hmm. it's, it go, I guess it goes back to like denial, but it's just like this inability to, to listen. Like you're kind of saying like white people really got to yeah. fucking listen and just get uncomfortable. I mean, yeah, no one wants, to, no one wants to believe that they could be part of something that was terrible. No one wants to believe that they could have had any kind of racist actions or thoughts and so when they're confronted with it, the denial is like vicious. I mean, it's, it's, you know, like a lot of like Trump support now is fuck you. That's what it is. It's like, fuck you. I'm voting for him. Call me a racist. I'll show you. And I think that's a big part of what goes on. Absolutely. And this is like, honestly, this month is the first month where I've been like, 
oh, Democrats could possibly win the presidency because sure. it's you're like like you're saying like it's a fuck you to um, everyone else for by voting for Trump, but Trump's now like actively killing his voting base. So it's like the people that don't believe in coronavirus will then inevitably would be people that would vote for him and could inevitably like die. It's hor- like yeah. horrifying to watch. I was like earlier today I was talking to Aaron. And I was like, do you think he's doing the, like the coronavirus shit? Like, do you think he's doing this because he just actually doesn't want to win? And it's the only way he knows how to, to end it. No, no one should ever ascribe strategy or cognitive thought to Donald Trump. I mean, He's just like, uh, it's like, it's like John Mulaney's whole joke about uh, he, him being like a, uh, a horse loose in a hospital. Sometimes the horse will do something incredible. <laughs> like the horse will get on the elevator and actually hit a button and go to a different floor. And it's like, oh my God, did you see what the horse did? But it's like, the horse didn't do that on purpose. The horse just like accidentally did something smart or did something crafty. So he's just like, you know, he's just driven by his ego and his an unbelievably fragile sense of self and 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 wanting to dominate and and all things and, and basically show off. So like that's what drives him. Like he doesn't have any real strategy. He doesn't know anything. You know, the guy like everything that's been told to us behind the scenes is like he has to have like pictures and all of his briefings that he has like to read. Oh my god. Uh, I mean, it's you know, it's one of those things where I mean I don't understand how how like uh Melania is doing. Because like, she didn't sign up for this. She signed up to be like, you know, the trophy wife of like some like gross rich old dude. And now she's like married to the most hated man in America. <laughs> like it's like that must be a complete mind book for her. Oh, yeah. Though I still think she sucks, too. I'm kind of like I feel bad, but oh, like, yeah. fuck oh, you. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and no one no one in his orbit has any morals or like, you know, ethics. I mean, if they did, they would have been like, oh, we, yeah, we got a 20. We got 25th Amendment, this guy, and get him out of here. He's clearly unfit, but no one's doing that because they're, they're all so comfortable with their power. I know now that like Mitt Romney is like a good Republican, but it's just because the Republicans got so much worse. Like he still sucks, but he's like the only one that'll talk out, out, out in person or like in tweets about him. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, it's a cult. You know, the, the party's now a cult of Trump, and that's just how it is. You know, anyone who speaks against them is going to have to face the wrath of that yeah. cult. Not to switch, but I can literally feel like my body like like going in on itself talking about Trump. And that made me wonder or it reminded me of like quarantine and stuff. And like what so like what have you done since March to kind of like take care of yourself, like take care of your mental health? This is the strangest thing. So my life has uh objectively gotten much, much, much better since the pandemic. That's began. amazing. And I, I, it's such a strange, strange thing to say. And I hate saying it because like, so many people are doing so badly and it's been like such a rough time for the whole planet. But like, I got a new job. I got a great new girlfriend. I just moved into my first ever solo apartment in my adult life. Like that is objectively amazing. Uh, I'm financially way better off than I've ever been. I have plans for the future. It's crazy how things have turned around. And I think it's because. I had this forced break from comedy. Yeah. Um, if I didn't have that, I don't know if any of those things would have happened because I was kind of on a hamster wheel and I was kind of like chasing what I don't even recognize as my dream anymore. Wow. Um, so I'm kind of, I'm kind of grateful for the break. I don't, I'm not grateful for why it happened, but I'm grateful that I was kind of forced to sit down and take a seat for a second to really think about what I want out of life. 
I realized that I had not taken a vacation day where I actually just went somewhere to not do comedy, to not work in any way, and just like go on vacation. Other than uh, the camping trip I took a couple weeks ago with my girlfriend, I had not done any vacation in over 10 years. Fuck. Not one day of just like going away somewhere to enjoy myself. And that's changing rapidly. Like I already have another one scheduled for August. We're going to Fire Island to like this like nice beach resort thing with my friend. Amazing. Um, and uh, me and my girl go up there. We're trying to go somewhere else, but like unfortunately, America is the dumbest fucking place on the planet. So we're not allowed to go anywhere because our our president and our you know our whole our whole citizenry is just intent on not wearing masks and not stopping this virus. But I love to go out of the country if it's ever allowed again because uh, I really miss doing that. But yeah, I've been like really sitting with myself and thinking like, hey, what do I want out of life? And I hadn't done that in a long time. And like I figured out some things about myself that like just needed to change. I've just been changing them. I um, honestly was like in the same exact situation. Like uh, like you said, like don't like how it happened. Um, and I think some of that's kind of survivor's guilt of being very aware of what's yes. going on too. But same, like I think a lot of comedians and I'm even going to make it broader, like artists and like, I think like a lot of people had to get off this like 24 seven hamster wheel. Cause people don't understand how hard it is to work a day job and then to have to do these shows at night and then have to get up early yes. to do the day job. And like, there is no, there is no end in sight almost. And and everything everything you do that's not comedy related or not like passion related is opportunity cost. Yep. And you beat yourself up about it the whole time. I would with relationships I did that. I used to say, I used to say this to women's faces. Get ready, you ready for this? I used to say the following things to women's faces. When I would start dating someone, I would say, Hey, just so you know, comedy is number one. So unfortunately, everything else at best. It's going to be number two. I thought you said at best too. <laughs> at best, it's going to be number two. Maybe maybe one A. You will be number two. Uh, relationships will be number two. At, mentally, if you start going down the line and like follow that logic, it's crazy. Basically, living is number two behind comedy. Mm -hmm. So I would not. I would treat myself like I was in the freaking army or something. Like I'm at boot camp, twenty four seven, just doing comedy, just grinding. I'd be like, oh, you got to be grinding. How many spots did Sam Morell do this week? He probably did 20. So you got to do at least 15. It was insane. I ever tell people every single day, you have to do something to help career. What? You need to, what about vacation? What about spending time with your, pa your parents? What about spending time with your loved ones? What about volunteering? What about things that make you a good person? No, comedy, comedy, comedy. And that's how I was. That's how a lot of comedians were. And I think people are redis rediscovering themselves during this time. And a lot of people are going to quit. And that's a good thing. Because frankly, a lot of people were not talented and should have never been doing this to begin with. We're going to have a lot less shitty comedians clogging up open mics and shows, which is great. And also some people who are talented will also quit, which will be a shame, but also good for them, for their lives, because they found a better way. I'm personally, I'm going to come back, but it's going to be very different. Absolutely. I'm not going to be grinding. I'm, I'm going to be just focusing on the parts that I liked and the things that I think are, that have a future. I don't know if stand-up has a future, to be honest. Um, that's sad to say, because I've dedicated so much time to it, but... How do we get back to it? When are people going to be comfortable sitting in a dark basement with a bunch of other people who are laughing and coughing and doing all this other crap next to them? I don't know. Maybe five years from now. It's crazy. But um, I mean, I, I think a lot of people are taking the time to really think about what they Absolutely. want. Absolutely. Yeah, because then it even goes back to like 
uh, not even being comfortable in these like air conditions, damp basements. But then it goes back, it goes into like, you can't perform at like half capacity at Union Hall. Like you won't make money. And then you can't, you can't survive off of that. I completely agree. I think a lot of people are going to quit. I think a lot of people are learning a lot about themselves, myself included. I, before Aaron, um, I was way more invested in my career and I'm still very invested, but if you don't make time for your own life, like it just, it implodes on you. There's no way. Oh yeah. Life won't happen unless you make it happen. Unless you like intentionally live and do the things that will make you happy in the long run. And what I've kind of just figured out, and I kind of always do this, but kind of ignored it for a while. It's just like the things that make you happy are connections of it. Yeah. And being of service to those people and like commuting with those people and all like the money and like anyone chasing fame, that stuff does not make you happy. It's not what matters. It's really what legacy did you leave with your connection to other people? And that's kind of all I've been trying to focus on. Just trying, just trying to like really live in a way that's intentional, that is with things that are going to make you full spiritually and not like professionally or you know commercially. Yeah, that's amazing. And hopefully like the newbies that come through this that are just like chomping at the bit to get on stage because, you know, they were stuck in quarantine with their parents and couldn't get to move to wherever they wanted to move. And they're like, they're just, they have the energy still. I hope they realize that um, like we We've been led a lie that there's only like a certain amount of room for people in comedy to be successful. And like that's fucking bullshit too. Like there's so much room for everyone. I feel like it's very like UCB, like you you have to be like in this show and you have to be on this team to be successful or famous or whatever that means to that person. And it's such a lie. Like it's you can do your own thing. It might not be stand up 24/7. It might be something else. And you can make like a a living off of this and a name off of this too, whatever that means to you. Absolutely. I mean, I think that's that's very much where I am. It's amazing. Because you've been doing uh, comedy for how long now? I'm coming up on my ninth year. I think it'll be my ninth year in wow. August. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I think mine, I think it will be my seventh year in August. Um, yeah, and it's like, it's so hard to explain because I have a lot of people that will that are friends, like not in comedy, that'll be like, "Don't you aren't like aren't you? Um, does it give you anxiety? Do you miss it? Are you going crazy?" And it's like I miss being on stage desperately. I miss that rush of like controlling a crowd with something that you created on your own. Absolutely, but it's been so nice to not wake up exhausted every day and be like, "Oh, that's yeah." Mm-hmm. That's the main thing. I was I didn't I didn't realize how tired I was till I wasn't doing that anymore. And then and mentally especially. Yeah. And I was just mentally exhausted. I think a lot of us were in survival mode and didn't realize it. And it was just I mean, I know for a fact that I would not have this new relationship with this amazing woman if I was doing comedy. I just would not I told her I would not have made time for it. I know it. I would have been like, oh, I gotta do spots. I can't be going on dates. I can't be going on picnics in the park with some woman. I gotta be at an open mic with a bunch of sociopaths. <laughs> that was that was my priority. Oh my god, open mics are the worst. I haven't been at open mic since like 2015. I went to one. I'm never going back to an no. open mic. I'm never. I'm, I, I retired before that, but I'm retired from open mics. I mean, what what's the point of doing 
paying to do comedy at this point is it's insane. You'd be risking your life. It's crazy. It's crazy that anyone's even considering. I saw people doing an open mic a few weeks ago, like an invite. I've been getting invited to these invite only. Open. I'm like, what are you doing? What are you even doing? Doing comedy for no for nobody just because you want to do it? Like you are addicted. You need to see a professional. Like that's a problem. Yeah. There's a virus. <laughs> there is an airborne virus and you're trying to gather with people indoors to do comedy that is completely meaningless. What is wrong no, with you? Oh, that makes me, that hurts my soul so much. That hurts so much. It's an addiction. It's a straight up addiction. Yeah, I mean, it totally is. Like the rush, the rush that you get from killing, like truly killing, like for mm-hmm. 30 minutes straight, is better than any orgasm I've ever had in my life. And I've had some like great sex, but there's nothing better. Like there's nothing better than that. Just, I don't even know how to describe it, but it's so easy to get addicted to or to get, I think what sucks, I think a lot of people are not addicted to doing well, but addicted to constantly being doing something. That whole like um, something culture, just like, well, I mean, it's, it's work, it's workaholism, but it all comes from like our bigger problem, which is just capitalism mm-hmm. makes everyone feel like if they're not contributing to the GDP, they are failing. Mm-hmm. You are a failure if every single day you are not making money for someone or something. And that's just not true. But that's like what our society has been built on. Have you ever seen Happy on Netflix? I have, and I've heard good things about it. It um it is it's really good. It's a quick watch. I think I I think they go into like five different countries. Um and it's about happiness within like each country. And like I th- I think it was Japan. I think Japan uh it was really they were working so much that people were literally yep. dying at work, like having heart attacks from the stress of it all. Um they talk about America, like how bad we're doing it. But the people that were the happiest was there was like one European country that would like you, it was like almost like a commune where you'd live. And so like you'd have like your own like rooms with your family. But like maybe you made dinner for everyone twice a month um, yep. and things like that. And they are very, very happy in that sense of community. And then there was another country that now I'm blanking on that uh, decided to not care about the GDP. Is that GDP, right? Yep. Um, they said they would not care about it, that they would not um, – construct new shit on like like you know beautiful land and that like literally the happiness of their constituents was like the most important thing and i think that was the happiest place in the world um because they stopped caring yeah. about creating shit that we don't need like you're 100 right my my old my old boss is kind of like forming his own commune up in upstate new york oh my god he uh during when when pandemic when the pandemic struck he decided that like he figured out that one family is not enough. We all need to have different people, more people around. So he got another family nearby to move in with him and his family to kind of ride things out together. Oh, wow! And then like eventually, and I was, I was kind of like thinking, was this some kind of like swinging thing? <laughs> but and then that might be part of it. But, um, but basically it was like each family had four kids. They all had meals together. They all like did all the laundry together. They were just together all the time playing games. And he said it really helped a lot. And eventually like, the other family decided to kind of move back to their own place. But now he's like recruiting another family to come and live with his family. <laughs> it's like a whole thing he's starting up there. That's so smart. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, especially when you have fucking kids too. Like that. Like I know a lot of female comedians are very freaked out about child, like child raising or child rearing because you're, you've been constantly told like this is it, your life is done after this kid. Um, so how can you even do comedy yeah. with a kid? Um, I'm so glad to hear that you're doing good. Yeah, it's been uh, it's been uh, a, a, it's been a very important time and like surprisingly a very good time. Yeah, and I think as like, people stay open to the idea of learning more about themselves and what's going wrong uh, and listening. I think a lot of it goes back down to like listening because uh, you can hear it all you want from yourself or from society or like what's happening like day to day as we doom scroll. But if we're not willing to like sit with it and learn what that means, like there won't be any change or any growth. And it shows how much you've allowed yourself to change and grow with everything from your fuckboy rehab. That's amazing. Oh, the fuckboy rehab, yes. I'm, uh, I'm about to exit the rehab back into the real back world. Back into the real world. <laughs> Guys, thank you so much for sticking around. Like Khalid said, you can check him out every Saturday for Comedy Ting at 8 p.m. Uh, follow him on Instagram. Um, you can follow Khalid at Khalid Says. K-H-A-L-I-D-S-A-Y-S on Instagram to find out more about his shows and his comedy videos. And thank you so much for listening and thank you so much for checking in. I I am truly honored every time that I see I'm still like charting in the top 100 during a pandemic. Like it's uh, been a truly humbling experience and me and Khalid talk about learning what's really important to us and this podcast is really important to me um, and what it does and just getting to know that it's important to you guys too just makes it all that all that easier that much easier to keep going when it's technical difficulties or what have you with life in general so thank you please 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 keep wearing your masks uh, it's not a political thing it's just it works wash your hands I love you guys, and I thank you every day for being you and clicking on my podcast. Okay, I'm stopping. I love you. Bye.